Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, welcome to our home, and I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. I'm so glad that you are joining us. Christmas has been a really fun time at our house this year. Our kids are at really great ages where the magic of Christmas is just alive in our home. And our kids have been spending December making presents, hiding presents all over the house. They've been changing their Christmas lists over and over. Even after the shopping has been completed, they continue to hand me edited versions of their Christmas list. Now, I remember how exciting it was to create Christmas wish lists when I was a kid. I don't know if you remember this, but Sears used to put out something called the wish book. And me and my sister would be so excited when the wish book would come out. My mom would make sure she got two copies so that I could have one and my sister could have one. And we would take time throughout the month of November and even December circling things that we were hoping for that we would get on Christmas morning. Now, something I've always had on my wish list from a young child up until this very year is I throw a novel on my wish list because I'm a reader. I love stories. I love reading. And so the thought of having a book to read over Christmas vacation is so exciting to me. So I throw a novel on my wish list every year. And the stories that I seem to love the most are the stories that draw you in right from the very beginning. You know, when you open up the first chapter and you're, you're invested right away and you can't put that book down until the very last word is let, read at the end of the novel. Those are my type of novels. Those are the novels that I read over and over again. Those are the novels that I line my bookshelves with. I love a good story. Now, but if I'm honest, the Bible, it's, it's full of good stories. There's some really great stories that draw you in right from the beginning, but the Christmas story has always seemed just a little bit boring to me at first. Let me explain. There's two Christmas accounts in the Bible. One is found in Matthew and one is found in Luke. And as kids, our parents would always make us read the Christmas story before we were able to open our presents. Now, for a young kid, this was hard because we were so excited to open those presents, but we would have to sit and we'd have to read the Christmas story. And if my parents turned to Matthew, oh, I would groan. Because at least Luke, he starts the story off immediately with the story. But Matthew, he starts his story off with a list of 42 really boring names. And those names are so long and they were hard to pronounce. And so if my parents would turn to Matthew on Christmas morning, I knew that it would be such a long time before I would be able to open my Christmas presents. But as I've grown a little bit and over the years, I've started to learn to appreciate Matthew a little bit more than I did as a kid. Because Matthew 1, though it starts off with a list of 42 names, God has hidden some treasures in those names. And they're right there for us to look at if we are willing and looking at them. And so today I thought we would start by reading Matthew 1 together this morning. So if you have your Bible, just ask you to grab it. And Matthew 1 starts out by saying this, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. 
Now I'm going to stop right there for a second because when the early Christians and the people of those times would have heard those words, they would have stopped immediately in their tracks. It's almost when Matthew was saying a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham, it was kind of like him saying this, Jesus Christ claimed the throne of King David is flawless. He is the Messiah that we have all been waiting for, for thousands of years. Jesus is the promised one. You see, they had been waiting for so long for the Messiah to show up and sit on the throne of King David. Because for them, the nativity story didn't start in a manger, but it actually started a long time before that in a garden. We all probably know the story of God created the world, and when He created the world, He created Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that God walked and talked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He enjoyed friendship and relationship with them. Until a day when Eve decided to eat the apple, and she was disobeying God in that moment, and and Adam joined her, and in that moment, sin entered God's perfect creation. And the Bible says that that separated relationship between God and humankind. And But God made Adam and Eve a promise, and He said, it's not always going to be this way. I am going to fix the problem of sin, and I am going to send a rescuer. Now, Adam and Eve, they had children, and their children had children, and a few generations passed, and we're introduced to this guy named Abraham. Abraham had a wife named Sarah, and they were older, and they didn't have any children. One day, God shows up to Abraham, and He says to him, Abraham, I am going to give you a son. Your wife, Sarah, is going to conceive a baby, and that baby is going to have children, and I am going to create a nation under you. This nation is going to be my people. I am going to be their God. I will do this for you, Abraham. Well, a little while later, Sarah does conceive a child, and they name the son Isaac, and God uses Isaac and the family of Abraham, and he creates himself a people, and that people is called Israel or the Israelites. And so God is their God, and he walks through life with them. Now, the Israelites, they go through some difficult seasons. One of the most famous difficult seasons that they walk through is the time they spend in Egypt as slaves. And in that time, they're under bondage and they're working as slaves for the Egyptian people. The Egyptian people even take their and murder their young sons. It's a very difficult season in the history of the Israelites. But they pray and they ask God, rescue us. And God does exactly that. He pulls them from Egypt and rescues them. Now they go through another difficult season in which they're walking in the wilderness. But through that season even, God is with them. He continues to walk with them. He continues to be faithful to them. He continues to be their God even when they disobey. So a few generations go by and we're introduced to a guy named Jesse from the Israelite people. Now Jesse is a guy, his father, he has eight sons. And one day God speaks to the prophet named Samuel. Now in those days, God spoke to prophets and he gave them words and the prophets would share the words to God's people. And so God comes to a prophet named Samuel and says, I want to choose a new king. The king that we have right now, not a good king. I'm going to choose a new king. I want you to go to Jesse's house. Jesse lives in Bethlehem. That's important. Go to Jesse's house and one of his sons I'm going to anoint as king. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house and Jesse brings out seven of his most strapping sons, his most impressive sons, and he lines them up. And one by one, Samuel looks at them and says, no, this is not who God has chosen. At the end, he says to to Jesse, Jesse, do you have any other sons? 
And Jesse says, well, I have one son. He's out in the field. It's David. He's younger. And Samuel says, bring him. And so David is sent, uh, David is called from the field and he comes in and the Bible says that when he comes in, Samuel, the spirit of the Lord says to Samuel, this is the one that I want to anoint. And so Samuel takes some oil and he pours it over David's head. And that signifies that David is going to be the next king of Israel. Now, David is a man after God's own heart, and he loves God, but David is also a conflicted individual, and he makes a lot of difficult decisions that cause a lot of grief. And after David comes an era of kings in which some of these kings were good and they did good things, but a lot of them, they were they were difficult kings, and, and they caused grief amongst the people of Israel, and it wasn't a great season, but even in their disobedience, even as Israel continued sometimes to obey and sometimes didn't obey, God continued to be faithful to them, continued to talk to them, continued to be their God. And in the Old Testament, there's actually, there's actually over 300 prophecies in which God gives, continuing to tell them, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a rescuer. I'm going to solve the problem of sin. Three of them I want to read to you today. The first one comes from Isaiah 7, verse 14, and it says this. It's a prophecy that God gave to the Israelites. He said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. The second prophecy is from Isaiah 11, verse 1, and it says this, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear much fruit. And the third prophecy is from Micah 5, verse 2, and it says, You, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come to you on my behalf. So it's very interesting that through these prophecies, remember, there are three prophecies amongst many. Through these prophecies, the Israelites now know that God is going to send a son through a virgin, that it's going to come from the, from the line of Jesse, and that somehow Bethlehem is going to have some part in the Messiah arriving on the earth. And so they continue to hear from God in this season. God continues to talk to his people of Israel. And then all of a sudden, God goes silent. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, for 400 years, God does not speak. And then all of a sudden, after those 400 years, God speaks. He sends an angel. And he sends an angel to Mary and Joseph. Now, before we talk about Mary and Joseph, I just want to turn back to Matthew for a second. I want to read to you the list of names that Matthew records in the genealogy of Jesus. I'm not going to go through them all. It's a long list, but I'm going to start off in verse 2, and it says this, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Interesting. We're going to talk about Judah in a moment. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amadab, Amadab, the father of Nishan, Nishan, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Very interesting that it, it adds that whose mother was. We'll talk about that in a second. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Now, we'll skip some names down here, and we'll go down to verse 16 that says, And Jacob, and this is a different Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, called the Christ. 
It's interesting that this, this list of 42 names identifies Joseph in it. In fact, it identifies Joseph that he is the great, 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 great grandson of David, which makes him the great, 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 great grandson of Jesse. Sometimes I think we tend to treat Joseph kind of like an add-on character. You know, on Amazon Prime, I don't know if you're an Amazon Prime member, but if you are an Amazon Prime member, what will happen is when you make your purchases on Amazon, at the end, when you go to cash out your cart, Amazon will offer you some add-on items. Usually these items are super cheap. You don't really need them, but they're flashy and they'll be great to have. And so I have been prone to add a few add-on items into my cart over the years. I think we treat Joseph sometimes as an add-on character. We know that Mary was chosen by God to be Joseph's, to be Jesus's mother. But sometimes I think we just think of Joseph as an addition. Like he was in love with Mary. He was Mary's fiance. So God used him in the story and birth of Jesus. Sometimes that he was just along for the ride. But this list of 42 names proves that it's no coincidence that Joseph ended up being the father of Jesus. Rather, it's a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah that this Messiah would come from the family line of Jesse. Eyes would have been following Joseph's family for thousands of years, waiting and looking to see where the Messiah would come from. And from Abraham right down to Joseph, God has created a family line for Jesus to be born into. It's Joseph that ties Jesus to the promises of the Old Testament, to the promises that a Messiah would come and it would come from the, line, from the line of Jesse. The writer Matthew is making such a bold statement when he writes down this list of 42 names. And by, by listing these 42 names, it's almost as if he's saying, Jesus Christ is the son of David and the son of Abraham. After 42 generations, God has been faithful to Abraham. He truly is a God who keeps his promises. One of my favorite Christmas traditions around the Christmas season is Advent. I love Advent because in the hustle and bustle of such a busy season in which you're trying to find the perfect gift and check things off your list, Advent slows us down and causes us to think about the reason why we celebrate Christmas. A few years ago, our family adopted a tradition called the Jesse Tree. The Jesse tree is a simple way to focus on this list of 42 names. Each day we open up the Bible and read about a certain specific person in the bloodline of Jesus or in the story of the Old Testament that unlocks for us the reasons why God sent the Messiah. And each day we, we also open an ornament and hang it on a tree as a symbolism of how God used a family to bring Jesus into the world. For our family, a Jesse tree makes the list of 42 names come alive as we celebrate the fact that God has sent a promised Savior, that God keeps every promise that he ever made. Now, if we were to take a careful look at the names on this list, we would discover two very profound truths. One is that all people are equal, and two is that God uses imperfect people. This list of names would have been appalling the Jewish leaders of the time, because many in the Jewish culture believed there certainly was a superior class, and that was the Jewish male. In fact, daily, the Jewish men would often thank God in their daily prayers that they had not been born a Gentile or a slave or a woman. In those days, women were rarely ever mentioned in genealogies. 
And if they must be included, a genealogy would usually simply list their husband or their father's name in place of theirs because they were considered a possession of him. In the same way that a slave in those times were considered the possession of their master or how the Jewish culture would consider Gentiles less than themselves. So the fact that five women, four of them being Gentiles, are mentioned in the genealogy of the Messiah is so noteworthy. I think God specifically chose to use different cultures, genders, and classes in the bloodline of Jesus because He was declaring that there is no superior class in the kingdom of God. All cultures, classes, generations, and genders are equal and valued, both in Jesus' birth family and in the future family of God that we are now included in. You see, Jesus' genealogy broke down the barriers that had been believed for thousands of years, that one gender was preferred to another, or that one culture was inferior to another. And as followers of Jesus, He calls us to live today with this radical heart of justice. He wants us to use our lives to declare and show to the world that all people are equal and worthy and valued and included in the family of God. Thank God there's no room for prejudice in His family. And thank God that He can use imperfect people. I wonder, have you ever felt that you didn't measure up? Maybe you come from a difficult past. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. You went to church much later in life. Maybe your gifts aren't the flashy kind that everybody recognizes. Maybe you often feel less than, or maybe you wonder if God could ever use your life. The good news is that you are in good company because God uses imperfect people to reveal His perfect plan. You see, Jesus' family tree is full of imperfect people. We have David, who is both a warrior of God, but he we know he also coveted a married woman in Bathsheba, and he took her to be his wife and had her husband killed just so that he could have her. We read Judah is in the family line of Jesus, and Judah was actually the brother that sold Joseph into slavery. And Judah also raised two very wicked sons, and when they died, Judah refused to care for their widows. We read that Rahab is in Jesus' family line, and Rahab was a prostitute before she ended up becoming a follower of God. We see Solomon, and Solomon is David's son, and he did wonderful things for the nation of Israel, but he also took wives from the nations that God said not to marry into, and that caused problems. There's a guy named King Ahaz in Jesus' family line, and I would argue that he is probably the worst in the family because King Ahaz not only encouraged the Israelites to worship false gods, but he also took his son and sacrificed him as a human sacrifice. And finally, at the top of the list, we have Abraham. And we know that God used Abraham in mighty ways, but Abraham also took God's timing into his own hands. And when God hadn't fulfilled the promise of a son in his timing, Abraham took his servant and conceived a child with her, even though God had said that Sarah would conceive a child. You see, there were some crazy people in Jesus' family. I can't imagine a Christmas family dinner with some of these individuals. But the family tree of Jesus is full of imperfect people, because we are all imperfect people. None of us measure up. None of us are worthy on our own. That is why Jesus chose to come to the world and rescue us. In the midst of all of humanity's brokenness, there was Jesus showing up in a manger and holding it all together. 
I can imagine throughout the entire story that God was saying to his people, I'm with you. I'm for you. Wherever you go, I'm already there. I am faithful. I keep my promises. I am always at work in your life. I can use your brokenness for my kingdom. You see, Jesus' earthly family was so significant because it proves to us that God has always been at work in the world. From the beginning of time to the moment that the newborn king cried out in the manger, God has been masterfully weaving a story for humanity. It's a story of redemption and promise and faithfulness. And God chose to write this story through a family, through simple, ordinary people. You see, Matthew chapter 1 is a declaration that God writes good stories. He alone can see the future, and He alone knows the ending. When the angel showed up to Joseph with good news that the Messiah was coming, Joseph had a choice to make. He had to decide if he would choose to trust that God was good, despite not understanding any of the details. Despite what others might be thinking, Joseph was invited into obedience. And through the story, it was far different than Joseph himself would have ever wrote it. We read that Joseph chooses to trust in the faithfulness of God. And just like Joseph, God invites us to trust him too. God asks us to place our stories in his hands and allow him to shape them and mold them into masterpieces. He wants to use my story. He wants to use your story. He wants to use the stories of his people, just as he did through the story of Jesus's family. And the truth is that if God could orchestrate the Christmas story, which spans across generations and places and time, then certainly God can be trusted to orchestrate our stories today. So as you continue to celebrate the Christmas season, my prayer is that you would see God's hand at work in your life. I pray that you would recognize that the details of your life are not coincidences, but they're divine moments that are orchestrated by our one true God. I pray that we would learn to trust Him with the details that we cannot understand, just like Joseph. And I pray today that our hearts would be encouraged with the truth that even through our brokenness, God can use our stories to declare His goodness and faithfulness and love to the world. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.